Today, my guest is Chris Smith. He is the co-founder of Curator, an Inc. 500 fastest growing company, and he was named the top four best marketers under 40, according to the American Marketing Association. His book, The Conversion Code, is taught in colleges like John Hopkins University, and he has been a guest lecturer at NYU. Chris used the blueprint in his book to quickly grow his company to eight figures in annual recurring revenue without raising any venture capital. His work has been featured in Adweek, Forbes, Fortune, and many other publications. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. For everyone listening, I just have to ask you a question. Do you want to know what separates the contenders from the pretenders, the A-list from the C-list, world champions from the world not champions? It's pretty simple. The fourth quarter in sports, more importantly for a lot of the people listening here in business, finishing strong is key. Now, HubSpot's new sales hub is the software that you need for your sales and your sales team to win Q4. You could be a solopreneur. You could own and run a larger business. Regardless, if you are selling anything to anyone, which I think a lot of the people who are listening to this are, you need to check out Sales Hub. So there is a new prospecting workspace. There's revamped deal management tools. There's smart sequencing. Sales Hub is loaded with everything you need to turn leads into prospects and then convert those prospects into customers. With Sales Hub, you have the right information at the right time to build better relationships, which means closing deals has never been easier. So this Q4, give yourself and your team the tools to win big with HubSpot Sales Hub. Learn more at HubSpot.com slash sales. I don't think life's that simple to sum it up into one thing. I think that's incredibly idealistic to think that there's a moment that it happened, but I'll give you one that comes to mind as you ask the question, which is I was in the 11th grade. I was on the varsity basketball team. Half my teammates went to become professional athletes. It was a 5A state school in Florida. We're really good. And we lost in the semis. And, you know, most of the same team returning, preseason number one. And I had to make a tough choice to either continue to be the 12th man and knock it in and, and, you know, be a part of this great journey, but not contribute to it other than practice and, you know, things of that nature, or I could get a job. You know, that was a big decision that I had to make going into 12th grade. And as I'm sure you remember, my kids are in high school now. So it's like, that's a big decision to not be on the basketball team or to be on the basketball team. And I chose to quit. I went and worked at Foot Locker. And I was selling shoes and I was learning corporate America for probably two years before I would have had I continued to be naive enough to think that I had a future in basketball. So now, choosing to work instead of being on the team was a tough choice. They went on to win the state championship and I was in the crowd. So, it, you know, it, it, it finished the way I thought it would. So that hurt, but most of those players would be pumped to trade lives with me now. <laughs> so it's, it's so interesting how the most important thing then almost feels insignificant today, but it's all connected. 
That's why it's hard for me to pick that one point. Very fair. Very fair. It's funny. It's funny how life works out. Now, my question to you is, you are building a personal brand around conversion. Why do you feel like you can own the word conversion? And why is this something that you're focusing on now? Out of all the business lessons that you've learned over your entire career, and we'll speak about some of those, why is conversion so important? Sure. Well, I think the experience that for me stuck and ultimately became the stuff that I used when I did start my own company was something that I just thought of this, but it's like 9998. So my first boss was a billionaire. My second boss was a billionaire. My third company was a billion dollar publicly traded company. And the first startup I went to work for was acquired for 108 million. So like BBBM, you know what I mean? <laughs> so when you see that level of success up front, and it's funny, I was just working on my email newsletter this morning and Billion dollar companies make data driven decisions at scale always 24 seven and it drives everything that they do and what they invest in and they obsess about it. They build their own systems and technology to manage it. When I was at Quicken Loans, we didn't use Salesforce. We used Lola. No one else uses Lola except Quicken Loans. Lead, origination, loan, allocation the data center at these companies and then once you have that sort of conversion layer which they they had that's what i started with so i'm really good at it started on the phone work my way up so once i saw the conversion layer works no matter what the product or no matter what the lead source the other thing that these companies do is they invest in their brand and they invest in leads. They buy leads. Because when you get the bottom piece right, you wanna buy as many leads as you can because there's a positive ROI. So I think a lot of companies are, today, Scott, you know, they're building it out. They're building out the funnel and they're trying to figure out the best ways to get people into it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just kind of like, I think you should build your funnel from the bottom up. And that's probably what makes me different and why I think I can own the word conversion because I think it would be actually insane to do marketing and advertising and branding that led people to a leaky bucket, to an inefficient conversion process, follow-up process, speed to lead. How many times are we calling? What do we say when we call? What's the close rate? What's the conversion rate? What's the contract out to book back rate? We called it book back. Got a book back, book out, book back. There's a culture around that at these billion dollar companies. And there's not at million dollar companies. That, that would be probably the biggest difference. And so for my own stuff, I want it to scale as big as it can be. And so unfortunately I have to do a bunch of wiring under the hood to try to get there. It's hard, it is hard. Dot loop. You know, we got to 100 million when, when Zillow bought us. I was the chief evangelist for Dotloop. I wrote a book with their co-founder or with their founder, Austin Allison. It's called People Work. It's great. It's about putting people first using digital means. You know, how do you put people first in a digital first world? And so Dotloop, unlike 
Rocket Mortgage, which is, that's what it's called today. Quicken Loans was called when I was there. Mm -hmm. Dot Loop was still at that stage of a company where there were a lot of chinks in the armor. There was a lot of kinks in the rope and they needed a big, strong parent company to scoop them up and take them across the finish line to become what they could become at scale. They did. Mm -hmm. And so they sold for 108 million, but I know, and I think Spencer from Zillow, who was a part of the acquisition and Austin, you know, who was the founder, I think that Austin knows he was on the path to a billion, but he probably didn't realize it isn't just momentum that gets you there from being worth a hundred to being worth a billion. It's kind of unrealistic to 10 X as quickly as some people think you can. But I think what happened for Austin, quite frankly, is once he knew he could build a billion dollar company, he checked the box in his mind. And then he knew dot loop wasn't the one that was the right one to do it for. That's and his second thing. company after that, yeah, it's called Picasso. And it is the fastest unicorn ever. Hmm. I didn't know that. I know Picasso. I didn't, I didn't know that though. It, so, it's the fastest valuation to a billion dollars yeah. in the history of Silicon Valley. Spencer Raskoff's the co-founder. He's founded Hotwire. He founded yeah. Zillow. These guys are legends. And so Picasso is going to get it right. Because Picasso is, is being operated properly on day one. Because Austin learned more than he earned. <laughs> he made a ton of money. But it was, he, he was learning so much. And then he got to report to Spencer for two years and see the belly of the Zillow beast. Zillow has scale, right? Zillow's worth billions. So... Yeah, the Zillows and Quickens and those types of companies, man, they are data driven and they are built from the ground up. Okay, so a lot of corporate experience all makes sense. Now, I heard something that is interesting to me that's a great entrepreneurial lesson. You mentioned some businesses are not the right kind of businesses. And we'd argue, like, if you can build a business to $100 million, that's a great business. But it wasn't the one to go to a billion. But let's, uh, let's shelve that for now. I have a different question. When you're starting something new, what is the right business? So if you're an entrepreneur and you're getting into it for the first time, how do you decide where to spend your time? For the person starting it, it's the business that accomplishes their goals at the time. You know, Austin's goal was to run a billion dollar company. So he started Picasso, he accomplished that goal. Um, that was a realistic goal. So to sort of have this hybrid between realism and surrealism, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I know I could build a million dollar company. And even now it's funny you mentioned Austin because with dot loop, I, I, I'm sort of at a similar point with curator, my own company, because, yeah. you know, we basically sprinted to a certain size, we're private, so the numbers are not out there the way venture capital backed are, but we're private, we're profitable, we got cash, we do a million a month in, in MRR, like we're a great business. But the way that it is built today, it does not lead to a billion because Commissions Inc. and Tiger Leads and Boomtown, we've seen the comps for what we've built. And the mm -hmm. comps 
are at about 350, 250, maybe 500 million. That is the highest. Then we looked and we said, okay, who are these brokerages that no one's heard of, that everyone makes fun of, that kind of suck and they're kind of new and they're not even really doing things that well? How are there like six of them worth a billion? And there's not one SaaS platform worth a billion. So I'm, I'm swimming in the wrong stream. So, but I can't become a brokerage because <laughs> all of my clients are with all the brokerages, you know, I'm Switzerland. Yeah. It's important yeah. to me, by the way. So it's hard. And so to pick the thing up off the tracks and go build the business of tomorrow while you're working on the business of today, it's a lot harder than it sounds. And yeah. the key is just having great people around you. We, we were never able to look too far into the future when we were caught up in the weeds. Okay, so now let's sort of walk through the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, when you started, uh, when you started Curator, when Austin started Picasso, uh, there's playbooks you deploy. There's playbooks for your product market fit, first 50 customers, first 100 customers, from zero to 1 million, from 1 million to 10 million, from 10 million to 100 million. So walk me through the playbook for getting a company off the ground. I want everybody to get the best advice possible. I've built a company like that. I have great opinions on it. But there's a guy named Jason Lemkin. He is the, I believe, the, the smartest person when it comes to growing a SaaS business from zero to 10 million in ARR. Because the reason I say that is as I'm on this journey with Jimmy and as I'm mm -hmm. working with Austin and going through all these ups and downs, um, I feel like he's speaking directly to me and he's never met me. He's talking about my problems. He's talking about my issues. He's, he's basically like reading my diary on Twitter. I'm like, dude, how, <laughs> how do you have my PL? What are you doing? And he showed me that he knew me. And so I then really latched onto him because he could get me where I needed, where I knew I could get next. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But what I love about him too, is he's like, I ain't the one that gets you from 10 to a hundred. And the person that gets you from 10 to a hundred is probably not the one that gets you from a hundred to a billion. So yeah. don't get romantic about the, the who or, or the how. And so for Jimmy and I, we are not driven by financial gain, which ironically allows us to play this sort of Simon Sinek infinite game. And so as opposed to some of the other founders I've seen sort of sell, move on, you know, leverage to, to level up, yeah. we've, cho we've chosen to pivot. We're like Ross on friends. We're pivoting, pivot, pivot, <laughs> pivot, because we know that we are talented enough. We know that our team is good enough. We know that our ideas are smart enough that we can be bigger and better, way bigger than we are today. When we see companies that are bigger than us and founders that aren't as good as us, we don't stop. We just keep going, you know, but that's how we're driven. I can promise you 98% of the people that started Curator would have sold it already. And they'd probably be like building an island somewhere. You know, like, but that's not how we think of success. We love the work. 
I heard a story. Let me tell you a quick sports story. Yeah, go for it. There's been one flagrant foul in the history of the NBA All-Star Game, and it was Dwayne Wade accidentally fouling Kobe Bryant across the face. He broke his nose or broke his cheekbone. Blood was gushing out. And, you know, it's the All-Star Game. These guys are half of these guys are friends. Well, two nights later, the Heat play the Lakers. And so D Wade's a little nervous because he never really got to tell him properly that he was sorry. And Kobe comes out and he's got this mask on, you know, the, the sort of Mamba mask and D Wade goes up to him, you know, before the tip off as, as the game's about to start, he said, Hey man, I'm so freaking sorry. You know, you know, it was an accident, but I felt like I just needed to say it again. And he said, Kobe looked at him dead in the eye and he said, I like it. He likes it. He liked the twist that he had to play injured because that's different and it's unique and it's experience now that he can go through that other people haven't, that he can learn from, that he can go show his highlight films just like LeBron wearing the mask on the heat. We've got some Kobe mask games. People that reach the ultimate scale, they are fascinated by solving problems. So if you're building your situation where you're problem free, tough to get all the way to the top because you have to be willing to tackle problems people won't or that they aren't. And so for Kobe, he's just like, this is cool. Tie my hand behind my back. You know, I'll close my eyes on a free throw, right? That's a new challenge because the regular game is easy now. And so I'm trying to level up from there. Leveling up from where Kobe was was shit like playing with a broken face, (laughs) you know? Now you made an interesting point. You said when you're building out Curator, a lot of people would have sold it before now. There's a lot of people that would have built it to sell. So when you're building a company and you want to build something that has some longevity and lifetime and legacy to it, it seems like that's what you're doing right now. And you want to test out different things. There's a lot of pressure from external stakeholders because a lot of entrepreneurs, they bring in VCs, venture capitalists, investors, and there's a timeline, there's a ticking clock before they have to have an exit event. So you want to build something long-term? Does an investor have that same shared opinion? And I guess the question would be for a founder, if they want to take that pressure off, they want to build something that could be more of a lifestyle, have some longevity to it. Should they work with venture capital investor outside money that's going to put all of that pressure to expedite everything? No, you know, I wore this sort of anti Silicon Valley, anti venture capital hat for a while, similar to the guys from Basecamp, where it's like, hey, there's another way. You don't have to do it this crazy way that Silicon yeah. Valley does it. Like, be proud of, you know, being profitable as an example, like things like that. And (laughs) simple stuff. (laughs) I actually, as I've gotten a little bit older, I just, it's kind of back to that example we just gave. There's a lot of ways to do things and I don't know how to do it the Silicon Valley way. And that actually now bothers me, Scott. I'm now basically saying the thing I made fun of for 10 years, that's actually the thing that I need to understand better if I'm going to continue to be the best marketing sales 
professor in the world because yeah. it's incredibly difficult to keep up with this stuff. I got a push alert yesterday, Google optimize going away in 2023. I'm like, dude, that's in my book. I can't unprint my book, but I know that going in. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally checked something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. So anyway, I, I hope that makes sense. I wanted to follow up one point about who to onboard though. You know, how, who do you onboard? Who do you offboard? 
is a really interesting question too, because there's these people that like push you up the mountaintop and they, they follow you like a disciple. They really do. It, it, when you have a great culture and you have a great mission and you have, you know, founders that are passionate, like it, it, it it's sort of a good cult, right? It's awesome. There's words, there's colors, like they're like, it's, it's a real thing. It's amazing. It's hard to replicate, but that startup phase has to change to continue to scale. So all of a sudden you've got these people that pushed you up to this huge mountain that you're grateful to have ever seen the top of. And you're starting to realize that they're the wrong people to help you go up the next mountain. And so that change management is tricky, you know, because you've got all these people that got you there, but you know, they won't get you here, but you're not going to just lay off all your best people. It's, it's hard. And so to me, you need to have some sort of unemotional line in the sand where we are going to be, you know, founder led service led passionate. When we hit these numbers, we are going to then go find experts like this to help us do this. If that was clearly defined on day one, people would know which exit ramp they wanted to take, but who knows what's going to happen with a company. We could have gone bankrupt several times. So like, they don't even like they're buckling up, but they don't know for how long. How, how do you make that decision though? How do you make that decision on the right people? On the right, the people, right for this, people you for this hire the and fire on your culture. Yeah. It's not, it's really not even overly designed. You know, it's more about, are you willing to hire someone and fire someone based on what I'm about to sort of rattle off as who we are as a company? Because we're talking about trying to get to this huge scale, but to get to that scale, it's also very hard to get to that first milestone of, of call it 10 million, because that also involves all these departments and people that you're no longer involved with even to get to there. So this, this is, you know, part of what people should do is once you have your culture code dialed in and once you, you know, know what it is, it should be on the shirts. It should be on the walls. It should be on the booklets. It should be the window with the, with the decal over it. Like, and you have to say it out loud a lot and you have to prop it out when it happens and you have to call people out when they're not embodying it. To me, these are the ways that you scale with quality. So number one, it starts with us, you know, like we always look at ourselves as the problem before anyone else. And that starts with the founders. We take full accountability for the mistakes. And, and unless we can sort of give ourselves an alibi, we don't. It starts with us and whether that's a client service issue or a, we used our own products for the first like eight years to do marketing. We're not even real estate agents and we're using our own products to do marketing because it starts with us. If it breaks, we want to feel the pain, be the expert. That's another one. Like if you're not committed to learning and becoming an expert, you're not going to work here. And, and so we literally we only really hire sponges because it's hard to be an expert in all the different things that we do as far as digital marketing, real estate conversations matter. 
this is the, the philosophy that says, let's quit emailing. The actual talking matters. You'd be amazed how often that principle, that culture code, in real life, you get an email from an angry client. And knowing that conversations matter, you pick up the phone and call them. You don't email them back. Debate it, then do it. You can talk amongst yourselves in an effort to get something done, not an effort to see who's smarter, right? Solutions, focused, culture, stay positive. It doesn't say be positive, it says stay positive. We attract positive people. It's hard to stay positive, man. It's hard for us to stay positive. So it's more about like, not even are you positive? It's can you stay that way when it gets really freaking hard? And then the last one is just go the extra mile, which everybody knows what that means. So that, that is our secret sauce. And I can tell you that we've had at this point, you know, when you're 10 or 11, you do have turnover, even if you have a, even if you have an amazing run, you know, somebody, well, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Like, I think somebody staying at a company nowadays for, I shouldn't even say this. I think somebody staying at a company right now for three years is a blessing to the company. I think it is. I think it's rare now. I think it's very rare now. Dude, if I get three good years out of somebody in the peak years of their life when they're excited to be working there and they're all in and they're drinking the yeah. Kool-Aid, like, I am going to be pumped for them when they leave. I'll be mad it's, right when they leave. Yeah. But I'll be pumped for them deep down. We've actually explored creating... Well, people can look up Lattice. You, you ever heard of Lattice? Like no, a, never. What is that? It's like HR software. And it's one of the industry standards, like Salesforce for HR. Okay. Okay. And what Lattice did is they noticed that like, hey, we've got all this data and we kind of see when people are kind of leaving and we see the reasons they're leaving. And, and more and more with side hustles and, and Gary V yeah. culture, there's people leaving that are wanting to start a business. And there's no option for them to work with us to accomplish that goal, why not? So they're actually starting like an accelerator that if you wanna be an entrepreneur, we will invest in you doing so, but you have to be there for three years or more. <laughs> so- I love that, yeah. I absolutely love that. That's amazing. So now you set, you set the expectation, three years, and we're gonna actually, you know, we know what the culture is, you know, the side hustles exist, regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not we like them, you're gonna do shit on the weekends. We can't, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we can try and police it, we're not gonna be able to police it. So yeah. why not set up an accelerator? Now it's a business opportunity. Mm -hmm. So now there's a contractual obligation for three years, business opportunity, investment opportunity, yeah. them spinning up companies, solving problems that, you know, are probably very and, relevant and to them. And maybe a little bit yeah. of a reason to be better to work with for those three years, because yeah. we, you know, we don't have to invest in you. We might. I love and that. And clearly, Three years in, I think we both know, pretty much know who you'd invest in or not. Yeah. It's like the ultimate due diligence in a startup, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to position it. I love you're going to, you're going to hang in with that person for three years <laughs> and, and work with them. three years before we decided to invest in her. And, yeah. You know, we watched her for 40 hours a week and we read all yeah. the messages. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And, and I'm curious though, cause like, you're right. All these things about building, building companies, the right people at the right time. They have to get into the cult, but the culture is a huge piece of it. And it's an, it's an overused word without context because too often it is just words on a wall or on a website and nobody mm -hmm. buys into it. So how do you get somebody to actually buy into that? 
That's such a good question. It It is, you either start on day one or you maybe should never create one. I, it, it, I know this is going to be really strange, but as soon as you feel like you need to work on your culture, it's too late. As soon as you feel like you need a culture, it's too late. There should be zero work in creating a culture on purpose. But again, as you start to get bigger, <laughs> there's, you know, 47 people that work for you. I can't spend time with all of them every day and let them sort of through osmosis pick up mm -hmm. on who we are. So that's always been incredibly difficult for me. Um, I, I think culture is a buzzword too. I, I really do. And, and even the people that are really smart that, that work for us in HR, that they understand that creating a culture is incredibly difficult compared to earning a culture. You, you should make sure you're earning it. How do you do it? You execute. You, you create a great environment to work in. You do great work. You're passionate. Like you don't need to have a three word sentence for it to create a culture, but HubSpot, Salesforce, if, if you want to model the Decacorns, <laughs> do you know what a Decacorn is? These Decacorns, I think a Decacorn is billion? $100 million. A uh, hundred billion is a Decacorn. Decacorn, okay. Is that Deca? Is Deca 10? I think Deca is 10. Okay, it's I think 10 billion or more, Decacorn. <laughs> It's it's a good size company, is what it is. <laughs> Zillow at one point forty four billion. You know, there is a level above a billion, right? And Silicon Valley has exploded. They're you know trillion dollar companies now. So, um, Decacorn became a term, and whatever hundred is Centacorn. <laughs> I'm just looking. I just I just I just googled it. It's uh, so it's Decacorn is ten to ninety nine billion dollars, mm -hmm. and and. I don't know. This is a made up term. They just called it mega corn over a hundred billion dollars. <laughs> I love it, man. This is awesome. But yeah, that, those are, you know, that would be my advice would be don't create a culture for as long as humanly possible. Don't need to, don't make it a thing. Don't make it a, a sticker, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you're going to know when you need to actually maybe put it on a moleskin. This is yeah. real obvious. Let's talk about let's talk about conversion mm -hmm. because that's what you focus on. So you have a million and one startup lessons, but you you I don't know specialize you specialize mm -hmm. in conversion. You focus on conversion. You you have a code for conversion. <laughs> I am the up up down down left right left right of conversion. Yeah. So how do you optimize conversion? What's the code for conversion? Yeah. It's let's describe what question. that is. Let's describe mm -hmm. what let's describe what you mean by conversion because people yeah, are thinking I should about start is with it that. Ads, a lot of people think landing of it pages. What mm -hmm. is it? Is it sales reps on calls? What is convert? It's like a million different conversion points in yeah, a business. Yeah, and they're all sort of it's sort of properly to use the term in several different places that are incredibly different. So your conversion rate of leads might be like 0.14 and that's like killing it. But your conversion rate of a landing page might be 80% and failing. Mm -hmm. So the way I define conversion, because I do think it's important to 
sort of say, what is conversion? It's the Venn diagram where marketing, sales, and technology overlap. It's sort of the intersection of those three things. In fact, the book, section one, marketing, section two, the sort of tools to go from marketing to sales, section three, sales. So it's that line that exists and creates new opportunities and challenges due to the internet, basically, is, is how it creates. So it's, I teach lead conversion using digital marketing and digital ads and social media, right? And because of that, the, the funnels that I build and the content that I put out is very, very different than what was capturing a lead in 2007, you know, on the internet when people were reading Yahoo Finance and clicked on the Quicken Loans ad. It, it has changed a lot. So I define it as that overlap and the goal is to get that right. And so instead of it being two different departments or calling it something weird like chief revenue officer, you know, I feel like I'm, my calling is to be everybody's chief conversion officer because no one has one. And it really is almost like a therapist that's real tactical because when I work with a room full of 25 salespeople, it's very different than the next day when there's like seven marketing people, totally different agenda, totally different energy. The room is set up different, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm basically trying to say, I need to talk to both of you and they need you both to quit complaining and thinking the tools are the answer. Cause that's, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode HubSpot. Now, as you all know, the success story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. There are incredible podcasts in this network. One of my favorites that you have to check out. If you don't know this podcast, you're kind of sleeping on it. The gold digger podcast hosted by Jenna Kutcher. This podcast has been around for a minute. Jenna is an OG in the podcast game. The Gold Digger podcast helps you discover your dream career with productivity tips, social strategies, business hacks, inspirational stories, interviews, and so much more. Please go check out the Gold Digger podcast hosted by Jenna Kutcher wherever you get your podcasts. Because if you're talking about these billion-dollar corporations where you're saying they have the playbook, they have the code, quote unquote, for conversion because they figured it out. A lot of this is like the sales and marketing alignment. And I'm surprised that this is still such an issue because you're right. In 2023 now, um, I would have thought by now that the CRO role was meant to, the chief revenue officer was meant to bridge that gap. It was, yeah, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the, the conversion wasn't in the title, but the goal of that role was to say marketing and sales and all things revenue. Mm -hmm. So figure out how to get revenue, how to get money into the bank, how to get the next wire without spending too much money. Yeah. And that was the goal. But you're saying that there's still a massive disconnect between these two groups, even though the businesses do understand that, man, it used to be VP sales or SVP sales and CMO. Mm -hmm. And even with that, somewhat merging there's still a disconnect across businesses in the smb mid-market yeah you just made me think they won't even let a salesperson in the c-suite they changed the name they didn't even right make chief, chief sales, sales officer, officer. They no it's so weird revenue. it doesn't make sense to me why is that i don't know why that is because sales has a connotation with being low brow and but at the same time it's such a band-aid right it's like yeah we're gonna give someone a job and their only job is to make money 
And it's like, I think the problem with that concept, and I'm sure for lots of companies, it works great because they probably have a little bit more of a linear org chart with those three roles versus maybe a triangle shape, which if the chief revenue officer is basically two people's boss, then they, it, 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 you have to respect both departments greatly because they, they are what makes the company exist. And so I think this, like the strategy officer and the information officer, and you know, they need to be on this line and the chief revenue officer just needs to line his ass up with everybody else. He ain't better than anyone. She ain't better than anyone. So that to me is broken where it's like CEO and then COO, CFO, right? And then, and so I just, I, I just don't like the way that people disrespect marketing and sales and CMOs, they traditionally and historically have not been trained to think about conversion. My, I'm working with my sister-in-law. She said, yeah, I, did, I went to school. I did actually take some marketing classes. I'm like, what'd you learn? And it was just all philosophy. You know, it was just consumer behavior, you know, the psychology of, marketing messages like you're not learning really tactical things in school to do digital marketing that has a goal of converting leads so you have all these people that have been trained to create fun brand centric campaigns and then the internet and social media and analytics was born and now everyone can prove that most of them are terrible at their job. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I, I actually just <laughs> think I posted about this the other day that, you know, like chat GPT and how it just mm -hmm. passed a Wharton MBA exam. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, and that's an issue for me when chat GPT stopped training on data that was uh, basically dated in 2021 mm -hmm. and that's where it's getting all its data. So if it can pass an MBA exam from one of the, most esteemed educational institutions in the world, mm -hmm. one of one of them, then that's that to me means that the MBA is really not setting you up for success because what has happened since 2021 mm -hmm. in terms of how we work, how we market, how we sell, how we manage, mm -hmm. how we have gone remote. How do you hire somebody remotely? How do you mm -hmm. convert people to have no more budget or budget's been uh, reduced because of recession mm -hmm. or COVID or all these different yeah, the, word, the words you'll need to give it will always change but you know yeah so i think that so now what is a modern marketer well you're not getting that from school obviously mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because if i if i took things that i knew in 2021 i wouldn't be effective in 2023 it changes that fast mm -hmm. so how do you yeah, what the, are the, the what are the laws that sort of always apply the laws that always apply are relevance and attention and it's just you know if you have people's attention you get a chance to try to be relevant from time to time it, it is still the fun marketing branding content stuff you know but it's it's th those are the jabs and and then the right hook 
needs to be super relevant. So I just think of it as, I'll just oversimplify it. You know, I get 29 days a month to do really cool stuff and to be creative and to put great work out into the world. And then on one day, I'm going to go see how it did. And the way that I'm going to see how it did is I'm going to look at it much more so through the lens of I earned this day to spam you. It, it, you know, I spent 29 days providing a hundred percent value in everything I sent you. And, and so today I'm going to ask you to help me, you know, and people are okay with that. I, it, it's so funny because I have an email newsletter that kills it and it, it doesn't get a very good click through rate because the whole point of it is to help people just sort of get a synopsis of several things you know, mm -hmm. in marketing and sales. They could click if they want, there's some interesting multimedia if they do, but I have a 0% click through rate goal, meaning I want to make sure people can read the whole thing and never click. And sometimes I get a little nervous cause I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I've got a course coming up or I've got a, you know, I've got a, a webinar where at the end I'm going to be, you know, selling something and, and my goal is to make money and, you know, they never click anything. And it's like, calm down. The point of that email is not to get clicks, send one that the point is to get clicks. And mm -hmm. I, I could show you another email right above that one. That is sort of what I'm explaining that right hook. And it has like 89% open rate and 70% click through rate. So, what, so what's when the you, lesson when there? You whittle, you, yeah. When you spend all month or all week or all day whittling down to the, the sort of best stuff, it, it's, it's crazy how impactful it can be. Yeah. And I think that the lesson, the lesson here is, yeah, you spent the, you, you got the permission to do it. You got the permission by giving so much value over the, the period of time, but, mm -hmm. and, and, and larger businesses know this when, I mean, mm -hmm. the good ones do. How many times do you like cringe when you get a sales email from somebody every single week, right? Asking mm -hmm. to buy, to buy, to buy, to buy, and you've never gotten anything valuable from them. Um, yeah. Do you think then, that, I, that just, even yeah. if this is just for your own sake, like, I don't know. Yeah. You, you could probably read that, but like, yeah. if you look at those stats on the, on, you know, people that are buying and engaging with the stuff that they buy. That's not bad. It's unreal. That's not bad if at all. If you look at the normal, the top one here is more of a normal newsletter that I send every week. Yeah. Huh. So I heard Jason Fried one time say something that really stuck with me. And he said, the more times you send people away, the more reasons you give them to come back. And he meant, he meant it in like a really good way. Like he didn't mean it in like, a Grant Cardone, keep pissing people off and it doesn't matter because they'll keep going into your funnel anyway, kind of way. It was more like, it was more in regards to content and being willing to share amazing things that you find that you don't create. And I, I think that is probably one of my secret sauces, the Chris list. I don't actually create any of the content in it. it it's truly the best stuff I find from all over the web and and I just, you know, I have an opinion about what I found and I have advice on what to do with what I found. That, that's my whole newsletter. And 
So finding greatness is really important because as you search for it, you start taking kind of little notes of things you can do that are great too. And that's kind of how my flow is. So if you were to look at my checklist of stuff that's going to take a little longer, <laughs> like I'm working on an April Fool's Day joke right now. I don't know when this will come out, but <laughs> you know how you know how far in advance that is. I'm already like yeah. planting seeds. Do you think that do you think that small businesses screw it up still and they focus on selling, selling, selling all the time versus providing value, building rapport? Is that something you still see? Yes. I think the bigger problem is for the folks that you don't have to convince anymore to try to provide value are not providing value. They think they are. Explain that. Well, you go to the What's conference not? and somebody says content, video, social, you yeah. know, be an expert, be helpful, be useful. And they're like, okay, cool. And then they go to create content and it, 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 it's just average and mediocre and, and uninteresting and not compelling. And you know, it's hard to be an on air talent. Mm -hmm. The internet's busier than ever. Like, I think I'm really good at this stuff, man. I really do. And I'm a micro influencer. I'm a nano influencer at best. Now I have a strong tribe in a specific niche around a topic that's very financially fruitful. Mm -hmm. So I'm good. I'm okay with that. Like I'm, golden. I got better business opportunities than people that probably have 10 million followers. You know, they're out there doing brand deals. I'm out here getting equity and starting companies. So like there's lots of ways to do it. Um, I don't even know where I was heading with that, but well, no, it was, it was well, actually you morphed from just putting out garbage into the world yeah, and in yeah, the in the guise of content and then you actually then turned it into a good good conversation on is is audience worth anything if you can't convert them yeah. and and you're just building a, an audience of on sort of that average content yeah i think that people should almost it's almost like take a step back and i, I had an email workshop last week and it was really gratifying because the the part of the workshop that i thought was going to be the least interesting ended up being the most interesting because again, I'm very tactical, but I know that most people ha that were attending had a bad email newsletter. So I'm like, okay, we need to start and figure out what is your Chris list? What are you uniquely positioned to send to people that you have a right to commentary about, mm -hmm. you know? And what I found is that people still lean towards kind of making it themselves, not finding it from other places, but it started clicking and they're like, Ooh, people love Zillow. We could definitely have like the, the Zillow house of the week. I'm like, okay, yeah. now we're getting there. Yeah. You know, it's like, and people do things every weekend and they're always looking for things to do every weekend. And especially if they have kids and they're looking for free things, it's like, okay, cool. There's two letters. We're down with the two letters. We got Zillow and we got things to do this weekend for free and with kids next. See what I'm saying? It's not that hard, but that's the step they're skipping. And that's the step that matters the most because I, when I was teaching this class, it's like, Impact of images, what time should you send, HTML versus plain text. I get it. I love that stuff. I spend all day neck deep in it. But you're applying tactics 
to a strategy that doesn't exist. And then you wonder why you're scrambling and can't figure out if anything's working. I'm just thinking when, when somebody wants to build like a really strong brand online, um, but they, you know, you're talking about house of the week with Zillow and you're talking mm -hmm. about things to do with your kids on the weekend that are free. Let's talk about in a, in a serious business context. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what would that look like for somebody trying to build out a, a business brand for themselves or, or for a business? Yeah. Well, that, that is the exact thing for a realtor, which is a business. So to be clear, those are not theories. Those are exactly what a local realtor should send it as a part of their real newsletter. It might sound weird for a lawyer to hear that, but a lawyer shouldn't send that. A lawyer might send the most interesting case in Orlando right now. See what I'm saying? It's yeah. It, it, it's just sort of the, the, the industry will do, like for mine stats, right? People, there's always stats about marketing and sales. Yeah. Inspiration. There's always awesome examples of great marketing research, tons of white papers and eBooks to download reports every year. And then how to lots of that content. That was the one that I really didn't know what would be. It became my favorite, which is sort of, it really should just be TBD. It, it is the most interesting and fascinating thing I read. I'm not quite as concerned if it's tactical. It's more thought provoking. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And then I would also ask then, if that's the case, that's a sound strategy. It makes a lot of sense. You're providing way more value than day one you're going to be able to provide mm -hmm. to your audience that doesn't ever remove you as a thought leader that doesn't ever make you less than that's what you're saying you put all this free stuff out into the world you show the 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 cumulative knowledge you've built up over the week or the month mm -hmm. um and you've seen the results or people will still come back to you so this is what i'm getting to now is the bar to become a creator and a brand online is even lower because now the future of being a creator could be aggregating the most interesting shit that you found all week. And that's yeah. what it sounds like you're doing. And that's what it sounds like. You, I think you had like 40,000 some people on your list yeah, not, or maybe and, more and, now. Yes. And, but here's the thing, because a lot of times it's like, so then why should people buy anything from me, Scott? If it's all this great free information every single week, I'm putting it out on social. I'm putting it in my emails. Like why bother paying? 
And that to me is, you said, where is conversion? And that's conversion right there, right? Why pay Chris? We got tons of stuff out there for free. So that's my funnel, right? It's working. It gets yeah. there and it's like, I don't need to upgrade. I'm good. Well, the line in the sand for me that made the most sense, which was sort of like, where, where would I feel like it became fair to pay if I was the mm -hmm. person paying, <laughs> you know, like, I don't even think about it as me. I'm like, okay, I'm on the other side of the screen and I'm getting this stuff and I, and, and it's $49 or, or, or $75 a month or whatever it is, 597, you hear all these crazy prices with funny numbers, <laughs> whatever that is, I just, I cannot sleep at night if I send something and create something that's less valuable than that. And what I try to do is I try to earn the annual ROI monthly. So I do a live workshop every month. It's three hours and people can attend it for 49 bucks. It's cheap. They come in, they attend it. They see if they like it or not. If they keep the, you know, get the replay for a week, whatever, but a lot of them upgrade to the monthly membership which is more 24 seven access. You get to go to every workshop every single month. So the line in the sand for me was when I'm teaching long form in depth content, I'm not going to do that for free anymore. Now that sounds easy to say, but what does that mean? It means I don't have a podcast mm -hmm. and it means I don't have a YouTube show. And it means if I'm going to have one, I'm going to have to come up with something cool and different. That's not long form, practical marketing and sales tactics, because then I make it fair to say, why pay? If you're paying for a workshop every month, I got another free webinar every month. It's my lead magnet teaching damn near the same thing, right? It's unfair to ask people to pay. So I just looked at it like, if it's long form and if it's in depth and if it's highly practical it, it, and then the quality's better and it's, there's so many cool things that I've done with it around like cheat sheets and I, I love it. I have fun with it, but yeah, um, that for me felt really fair. I wanted a lot of people to be able to afford it. I wanted to feel really good and hold my head up high when I charged for it. I wanted every time that, and this is something a lot of people should do like, live engagement with your creator mm -hmm. is people's favorite thing. It's the reason they join and stay you could add all the pre recorded on demand modules in the world. If your live monthly workshops or webinars or live streams are not amazing, people will churn. And how do you make them amazing? You do the work. I mean, I'll show you like, I don't know what that means for a lot of people, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm mapping you know, it out for the solopreneur here who wants to yeah, do this. I mean, right. You just, you just do the work, man. I just wake up like, every day and work and write stuff down. And you know, there's such a great story about JP Morgan. Have you heard that story about JP Morgan and the homeless guy that came up to him? No, I don't know this story. Tell me the story. So JP Morgan is walking through New York and a homeless guy comes up and he says, Hey, if I can tell you the secret to success, you have to give me a million dollars. I may be wrong on the amount of money. And he said, okay, let's do it. You know? <laughs> and he said, 
key to success is to write things down that you need to do and then do them. And he gave him the money because that is it. Now, putting the right things to work on on the list, that, you know, probably challenging for a lot of people and, and sort of some of it's non-negligible, right? There's, there's sort of stuff you have to do, but I'm not an intellectual man. I'm from a small place called Polk County. I failed out of freaking college. I failed out of business school. I didn't get the little easy to get scholarship in high school. I had a 2.9. I'm not even smart. My books at Johns Hopkins as a required read. I taught at NYU and it's because I just write down things to do and do them. But the real answer is creative, original ideas are the only thing that matter anymore. That is my true feeling about what people should think about as they think about what to create. That the, the, the content arbitrage volume game is over and people don't know it yet. And, and the, the volume is going to have to come way down for most people. And the quality is going to have to go way up for most people for the algorithms to even know they exist. And I can tell you that one video that pops one, I, I did a Twitter thread and it, mm -hmm. it has 300,000 views. My average tweet has 3000 views. <laughs> so 10 X hundred X, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it, but it was a, it was a hundred X more clever idea. So everyone's trying to figure out what time to post and what to post and how to post. And should it be a picture? Oh, reels. They do good. Da, da, da. Like I'm telling you, man, spending a little bit more time in the lab than other people do on coming up with unique and creative ideas is where it's at. And it, and, and where you'll come up with those is by establishing some of these inputs that are bringing you these other amazing people's unique and creative ideas. I love it, dude. So actually, it's, it's so crazy. So you're talking about you arbitrage content for top of funnel. You learn from it yourself. It's a low effort, high value top of funnel product. And then all of a sudden, you flip the script. And the second now you have the gated content, and it is exceptionally high value where you focus all your time, energy, and effort. So you focus your effort on the thing people pay for so they don't churn. You don't focus as much energy on the top of funnel because, like you said, it can't be a volume game. You can't, it's, it's virtually impossible for any normal human being to have that much creative original thought that you're going to outpace someone else as a specialist in their field every single day, every single week. Mm -hmm. So you focus on where you're going to put that energy and attention and effort, which is the paying customers. Mm -hmm. And that's really this is like this is like the solopreneur turning into somebody who teaches for a living and, and, and coaches and, and advises for a living, mm -hmm. this is now the new playbook. Because yeah. I think that what people screw up is they try and do the volume on top of funnel to attract people with like sub, you know, subpar content. Mm -hmm. And then they have gated content, but then they're, they're it's not, it's okay, but it's not great. It's kind of like, you know, a, a, a shittier version of something that's already el something else that's already out there. And that's the funnel. It's a leaky bucket. And people pay, they get pissed off, the product's shit, they churn, and so on and so forth. And they just have this like ongoing kind of shitty 
content and and mm. and and knowledge business and that's and we're talking we talked about side hustles that's what everybody wants to do not everybody has a has a technical skill they want to they don't all want to be graphic designers or web developers or they sometimes they want to teach over things they've learned mm-hmm. and i think that's the differentiator between what you do and what i've seen a lot of people try and do in teaching well, thank something. you for picking up on it I'll, I'll leave you with this steve jobs quote it's about quality and in my first book, Austin Allison, the guy we talked about, one of the core principles was quality creates quantity. And for each chapter, I was tasked to go find the best quote that, that embodied that, you know, mm-hmm. principle. And the one for that always stuck with me. It was from Steve Jobs. And he said, uh, quality. <laughs> is always better than quantity. One home run is worth way more than two doubles. I never mm-hmm. forgot that. People hitting doubles, man, single, they button. Yeah. You need triples, right? What happens when you hit a triple? I don't even know if you watch baseball. I don't hardly ever watch it, but when you hit a triple, it's people are going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> when you hit a home yeah. run, people are going nuts. And what analytics has figured out in baseball is what I'm suggesting in marketing. Swing for the fences or don't swing. It like, but don't do the strikeout part a million times. That's what people have figured out. <laughs> they got that one down. Strike yeah. out a lot. Work on the freaking grand slam. Um, I I will wrap it up in a second, but there's one more thing that I want to go into. Yes. What's the secret in converting? Because you drew the line in the sand from mm-hmm. the from the audience, the top of funnel, into what's what's gated. So, how do you apply your experience? What's the strategy to convert them? What's yeah. the what's the game plan to bring those people over the line? Well, as you asked that, what I think about is it's actually the same formula that got them in the door. So if you, if someone comes in through a funnel, that's 99%, just cool, fun, awesome, creative, clever stuff. And then maybe let's say they hop on the webinar where you're, you know, actually talking about what you sell and, and you just throw these, like, you're just different. It, it's not, it's not on brand as we say, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. and so what I try to do when it's, when it's showtime you know, when, when it's time to make some money to keep paying for all these stupid ideas that I have, <laughs> what I do is exactly what I did to get them there. 99.1, 98.2. I, I defer and lean towards content marketing for 95% of the pitch. So if I, if I do a, if I do a one hour live stream. I want as many people as humanly possible to attend. I would rather have the biggest audience possible than the people that are way, way, way at the bottom that might buy. Cause what I'm, what I'm convinced of is that those people will show up anyway, right? Cause they're, <laughs> they're already thinking about yeah. buying. So they're going to come to the webinar. I don't have to worry about them. So when you, when you get on the webinar, I'm going to do what I call the science of sales. I'm going to get you more excited than the cost of what I sell while I have your attention. And then I'm going to ask you to buy. And so what I do that's probably a little bit different is I don't rush into it at all. 
you know, sometimes I'll be 35 or 40 minutes in and and it'll feel like the right thing to do to tell people how to move forward because they're sold. And I'm just at that point, I'm Mm -hmm. benefiting and I'll, so I'll just cut to the chase. But in most cases, I would say if it's not minute 50, I'm teaching. Hmm. I understand. One of my best mentors, his name's Steve Passanelli. He taught me how to present publicly. He's really sharp. CMO of a company called BombBomb. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. You heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. He used to have this really good segue. He would, he would actually say, Hey, cause we do these seminars and classes for CRMs at a hotel or at an office. And it was this same thing. Teach most of the class. And so he would always get to the end and he would say, Hey, really quick show of hands. How many of you guys think I helped your business today? You know, and they'd always raise their hand because he's a great teacher. <laughs> and then he'd say, all right, now it's time to help my business. <laughs> I mean, it's just like such an easy segue in the world of that being the way that you sell. Mm-hmm. You know, would you guys mind if I spent nine minutes now and talked about what I do sell? You know, I, I, you don't have to say I've earned the right, but you need to know that. And you did. And they'll know it or, or, or you didn't. So. What I need to improve on, because I'm not perfect by any means, what I need to add to my arsenal is actually the direct sale, fastball down the middle, come see what the conversion club is all about. Is it right for you? Should you join? Yeah. If you join, there'll be a coupon. I'm too kumbaya sometimes. But it works for you and that's your style. I said in my newsletter today, I said, I think that's where the puck's going and I'll be over there. Yeah. Like I'm good. There's some, there's some some wisdom and elegance in that too. I mean, you can learn other tactics, but if you have the funnel down and it works for you, I mean, you already have put a lot of thought into this. I don't necessarily think you have to, maybe you would convert slightly more, but maybe Mm -hmm. it turns off the audience and there's always a net positive and there's always a negative positive to every action you take against an audience, especially if they know you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So you can optimize other ways too, but I mean. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it's, it's a better problem to have than the alternative problem. Like figuring out how to monetize an audience that loves you properly is a yeah. way, way better problem to have than what can I create to build that tribe? Cause yeah. that is a, probably a, a long, slow grind. Um, yeah. in and most that, cases, that... but nowadays with the algorithms and with the kind of sea of sameness where, you know, nothing stands out unless it's really, really good. People pop off pretty quick, man. In my industry, Glenda Baker, you know, 900 K on TikTok overnight, just telling war stories about selling real estate for 30 years in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Brad McCollum, this guy up in Calgary, started a YouTube channel, made these amazing videos about luxury houses up there, became the number one luxury agent in, in under two years. So Ch- Charlie D'Amelio is, is real. You know, yeah. you can be Cobby, I think that's his name, Cobby Lane. Yeah, you know, yeah. th- those people, they came out of nowhere, but they were really funny or they were really cute or they were yeah. really good dancers yeah or really funny like i i, I keep going so you different know, you have so fine yeah that good yeah but if you are 
it, it, it's almost like whatever that old analogy of taking the road less traveled. It's almost like Candyland, where you get that, you know, you yeah. get that ladder. You almost go to the very top because you, you happen to strike the right chord or roll the right I, number. I love that. All right. Um, before we wrap up, most important thing is where can people connect with you? They want to uh, get your new book. They want to connect mm -hmm. with you about any of the stuff that you offer. So social, website, all of that listed out. I feel this is very ironic that I also did a bad job selling my book today. We're at the very end. I don't know that I mentioned <laughs> the book. It is called The Conversion Code. Yes. You can go to theconversioncode.com. My social media handles that I use the most that I love are Twitter and Insta. IG, Chris underscore SMTH. Same on Twitter, Chris underscore SMTH. When I started my journey, Scott, I couldn't afford the vowel. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, uh, okay. Last thing to wrap this up um, mm -hmm. before I close out. And by the way, we'll link everything in the show notes um, so that all the links for the book and for all of your social and your website, it's all linked uh, in the show notes below. But I ask everybody this. So you've had an incredible career. Um, you've built companies, uh, you've been part of exit events, acquisitions, you've built your own startup successfully, you've built a personal brand. So after all of this is said and done, mm -hmm. um, you look back and, and what does success mean to you? Yeah. Um, I think success to me is really uh, just about reaching my full potential and enjoying trying to that's it short and sweet because I love that. it's so hard i believe for me and i am grandiose and i think i can accomplish things that are unaccomplishable but yeah i i set a big goal and i go out to accomplish it and for me it's just sort of like i try to be equally discontent and grateful that to me, that's success. If you're discontent because you know you have better work in you, but you're grateful because you're already living a life that 99% of the world would dream of, I think that's a good spot to be. And, and I've noticed with the most successful people, they have a chip on their shoulder and they shouldn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I have a chip on my shoulder and I shouldn't. And it's because it isn't that I actually think that I can beat them. I can, I'm better. Than, it, it's just that I know that I'm not where I personally can get. And so if I, you know, I, and the other, the grateful part is because I don't want to have that journey. And then, cause the checkbox will keep moving. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. Oh, I want to make a movie and I make a movie and I want to win an Oscar and I want an Oscar. I want to win two Oscars. Like, so I'm, I'm well aware that that prize can move from what we think it may be today. So that's why I think for me, the answer that came to mind as you asked that was just more sort of like, am I continuing to push myself? Full stop. And am I having fun? That, man, I love that. that to me is success. And I think that is way, way harder than it sounds.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.